Hello listeners, welcome to the NK News Podcast, recorded here live in Seoul. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today we've got a very special... Wait, 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 wait. Breaking news. Chatter Carol. Can I stop you there? What is going on? We have relaunched and redesigned our NK News, NK Pro, KCNA Watch websites. Yes, you have. It It looks wonderful, actually. New fonts, new designs, new scaling for mobile devices. Tell us all about it. Yeah, it's actually almost two years of work. We worked with a very professional designer. If you, if you listen to the podcast and you're not a member of NK News, then you should check out the new website and join because we now have over 10,000 posts on NK News. That's incredible. And on NK Pro, I think there are almost 2,000 pro analyses. and Plus your data aggregators and uh, charts that, and yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, so in fact, if you are working on North Korea issues and you have not given NK Pro a try, I highly recommend you get in touch with us. Yeah. Membership at nknews.org. That's membership at nknews.org. My colleague Melanie, who is at the end of that email address, will be able to give you a free trial of the NK Pro site. And you can use that for a month, no obligations, and see, well, you can wonder how you lived without it. Mm. Now, where on the newly revamped site can people find the podcast? Oh, yeah. So the podcast, we've we've put actually a player on the front of the NK News homepage. And if you scroll down, you'll also find this kind of mosaic tapestry of podcast episodes all of which you can just press play and they'll start playing and there's there's a whole podcast dedicated section which is pretty cool because it has tags so mm-hmm. for example let's say you want to get a podcast about history in north korea yep. you just press that tag and it will filter you can do missile you know there's loads of of tags and it makes it really good to surface quality episodes you might have missed in the past we're over 100 episodes now chat so <laughs> that's correct should, should keep listening so thanks very much for that chat the revamped nk news and nk pro website where can people find it nknews.org and nknews.org forward slash pro Welcome to the NK News podcast, recorded in Seoul on Saturday, the 21st of September 2019. Today, I'm joined in person by retired Justice Michael Kirby to talk about the United Nations Committee of Inqui- Commission of Inquiries report on North Korean human rights. The Honourable Michael Kirby is a retired judge. He was a former Justice of the High Court of Australia, serving from 1996 to 2009. In May 2013, he was appointed by the United Nations Human Rights Council to lead an inquiry into human rights abuses in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, which reported in February 2014. And that's the major topic that we'll be talking about today, that and its aftermath. And you can find the report and all related documentary material at the website www.ohcr.org. You can just search in there for the uh, Commission of Inquiry uh, in Korea, and uh, it should pop up on the search pages. So thank you very much for joining me, Justice Kirby. Thank you. Good to meet you again. Tell us uh, how you came to be appointed to lead that inquiry. I'm not absolutely sure. The mysteries of uh, the workings of the United Nations are not always known to those involved. But I was actually at a conference in England of statisticians, very clever people statisticians. And then I was invited uh, to allow my name to go forward for appointment by the Human Rights Council. I gave my consent 
and uh, then I was appointed, and it was the first commission of inquiry of the Human Rights Council that was adopted uh, without a vote. So clear was the view of the member states of the Human Rights Council that there was a need for an inquiry into the human rights conditions in uh, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, DPRK. Now, you started in uh, in May 2013 and, and uh, delivered the report in February 2014. So it was almost a year, the whole process. How did the process of the inquiry actually work? I think it worked well, and it worked according to a different model than the model usually used by the United Nations. Uh, that model, the UN normal model, is based on the way in which in civil law countries inquiries are conducted. Australia is one of uh, the countries that um, it follows the common law tradition uh, derived from England. It tends to be more open and transparent in the procedures than the civil law countries. And my two colleagues, uh, Mazuki Darasman, the former Attorney General and Prosecutor General of Indonesia, and Sonia Beserko, a human rights expert from Serbia, though themselves from civil law countries, agreed with me that the best antidote to the lack of transparency in DPRK mm-hmm. was for our inquiry to follow the common law system, mm-hmm. to be very open, to have open hearings, uh, to film the hearings and put those films online, to have transcripts, uh, to invite the media and ordinary citizens to come along and generally to do the matter in uh, in a very open way, and that is the procedure we followed, and I think it was the right procedure, certainly, for an inquiry into human rights in DPRK. When you say that the hearings were open, does that mean that anybody could come in and listen to them? Anyone at all. The UN had a small fit about that because they said, oh, this will be terribly dangerous. People will come in. You will be uh, lacking in safety and Mm. uh, there will be a disruption of the the hearings. But I said, I've been a judge for 35 years and uh, I think I can, we can count on us to take charge of all the circumstances. And as for risks, we will take the risk because we regard this as imperative for the matter we were inquiring into, namely the uh, very serious situation of human rights in North Korea. Were there any disruptions in the end? None at all. Uh, And uh, there were large numbers of media came along. Uh, We uh, agreed to uh, explain what we were doing and to answer questions. Uh, We kept an open mind on our inquiry right to the end when we reported. But we thought it was important as an affirmation of the response of the United Nations system to the people who were coming forward to complain uh, that we would act in this open fashion. And I, I believe it added to the strength of the report and more importantly, perhaps, when we did report uh, every second page of the report contained quotations from what witnesses had said to us about the particular matters that we were reporting on on those pages. And that gave a vividness uh, and a directness 
of uh, personal accounts of what had happened to them uh, that really, I think, led to the power of the report and that led to a lot of response from the United Nations, which doesn't always happen. Mm. Where were the hearings held? They were held in Seoul, uh, in Tokyo, in London, in Washington, D.C., and there was also a proceeding in Bangkok, in Thailand. Mm. Uh, And some of those hearings were prolonged, such as the hearing in Seoul and in Tokyo, Uh, and um, some of them were focusing on substantially expert testimony. That was in London, though there were some military uh, refugees in London who came forward, uh, and in Washington, D.C., where there was uh, a lot of experts who came forward and gave testimony to us, very valuable testimony. What kind of allegations were being investigated? We had a mandate from the Human Rights Council, and that mandate gave us seven headings for our investigation. Uh, those headings included the issue of uh, the right to food, uh, the issue of political uh, and um, democratic uh, engagement with the citizens, the issue of freedom of the press, uh, the issue of detention camps uh, and prison camps and the criminal justice system uh, and the issue of the detention uh, and uh, abduction mm-hmm. of people, in- including uh, a number of Japanese citizens who were uh, grabbed and smuggled out of Japan and elsewhere uh, in order to Uh, fulfill a deemed need of the administration in North Korea. So we stuck to our mandate, uh, as was appropriate. We answered the nine mandate issues and our report, um, which is very readable, if I can say so, is uh, organised around those mandate headings and we just worked our way through uh, the testimony that came forward whether and if so why it was reliable, what it revealed, whether it uh, was uh, as to a human rights violation or whether it rose to the level of uh, a crime against humanity or genocide. And uh, all of these matters were then summarised in a, a, a shorter Uh, statement, which was essentially the document that went to the Human Rights Council when we gave our final report in February and March 2014. Was there any process of uh, screening or filtering either the witnesses who gave testimony or the evidence that was accepted? Yes, uh, we had to do that out of a a sense of uh, justice to the witnesses. If they had family still living in North Korea, we had to adopt procedures that were not as transparent than otherwise would have been done. Uh, We, in those circumstances, saw them in private and took their um, testimony in private and it wasn't always then revealed or it was revealed with redaction Mm -hmm. in order to make it safe for family members who were left behind. Uh, But in many cases, the witnesses, though they had family, were so angry and distressed 
by what they had gone through, uh, including the loss of family members, that they felt it was their duty and it was quite admirable to see them come forward. As somebody who has gone from time to time to Holocaust museums in Western countries, I was very impressed that the testimony that I was receiving was significantly the same as the testimony of people who are recorded, often on black and white, Mm. in Holocaust museums telling what had happened to them. And uh, this is a sort of chronological story of my life uh, that people tell astonishingly in rather understated terms, uh, but just following through uh, in uh, the time sequence what had happened to them, what other people had done, what officials had done to them, and then how they got onto uh, the escape route from North Korea to escape generally into China and then uh, through other escape lines to escape the country and get to South Korea. There were, at the time of our inquiry, some 30,000 escapees in uh, South Korea. So we had no problem at all getting witnesses. In the end, we had to cut off Mm. the... uh, witnesses selected for testimony uh, so as to cover the nine uh, points of our mandate and not to get so swamped with taking evidence that we wouldn't have time to think about it, to reflect upon it, to analyse it and to reach conclusions and recommendations, all of which we did. So how how did you decide or how was the decision made to Uh, as to which witnesses to take and which ones to say, I'm sorry, we don't have time for you. We had an excellent secretariat. Uh, They numbered, uh, I think it was about uh, 12 officers of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. However, when we set up the inquiry, they were obliged to affirm that they would perform their duties with independence, as we ourselves had to affirm, and with integrity, and uh, that they would not be, for that time, employees of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, Mm -hmm. even though some of them came from that source, some didn't. But they had to be independent of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights and uh, independent of all external forces so that they would act with integrity. And they went through the witnesses, they took them through their testimony. If they thought it was not safe, they recommended that they give their testimony privately and then the the witness would make an informed decision on that. Uh, If it was safe, they would give their testimony in public so that not only the Commission of Inquiry but also uh, the media and others could see and so that their testimony could be judged Mm -hmm. by people witnessing the inquiry, but also today can be judged on the internet because that testimony was recorded on film uh, with um, the transcript in uh, Japanese, English and Korean, and that is all available online at the uh, reference that you gave at the beginning of this program. Right, that's uh, ohchr.org, Office of High Commissioner for Human Rights.org. Uh, how did you deal with the issue of uh, standard of proof for uh, 
for um, abuses and allegations? That was not very difficult because by this stage in the life of the United Nations and the special procedures and the taking of evidence, there has emerged a, a principle which is generally applied. It's the principle of reasonable testimony to uh, provide believable evidence of the allegations that are made. There are whole books that are written, being written, on what is truth and how truth is to be ascertained. Uh, and uh, there are particular problems in the case of uh, a country like Korea that the people who are giving their testimony are uh, almost all confined to speaking in the Korean language which wasn't the language of any of the members of the commission, though there was, uh, there were uh, uh, officers of the commission who spoke Korean. Uh, but um, therefore, we were receiving testimony through the filter of translation and of different cultural norms affecting the way uh, evidence was given. But all of this simply requires a degree of prudence and care and a measure of scepticism uh, about testimony. Fortunately, in many cases, witnesses who did not apparently know each other gave evidence that was so similar mm -hmm. to, to the testimony of others that it uh, had the ring of truth. Also, some of the testimony uh, referred to um, the outline, say, of detention camps in which uh, for often seemingly trivial uh, matters of a political character, uh, people and their families were locked up in uh, detention. Uh, they would give very clear and detailed descriptions of the detention layout and the facilities and nowadays, no one is completely free of uh, the scrutiny of international satellites mm. and uh, Google Earth and, in some cases, satellites available uh, from the security sources that have been published. And these gave confirmation of the testimony that was given, as well as the inherent believability of what uh, the witnesses said and all of that was laid before the Commission, and we were unanimous in our conclusions, and those conclusions were contained in our report and are available uh, for the whole world to judge and to see the witnesses and to judge for themselves. After the report was produced, North Korea attacked uh, the report of the Commission. It said that the evidence was inherently uh, unbelievable because these were people complaining about their native country and they were enemies of the state and of the people of uh, Korea. Uh, our answer to that was, well, we asked you to let us come in and you refused. Uh, let us come in even now and we will, if uh, in any respect there is a matter that requires clarification, correction, elaboration, we will give it. Uh, that was simply ignored. I want to, uh, to follow up on that, uh, but before I do, uh, do you ever recall hearing any witness give testimony in, the, in which case you thought, 
I think they're probably making it up or they're telling somebody else's story or they're embellishing their own truth. I did hear some witnesses who uh, it seemed so fantastical that they had been subjected to the type of testimony that they gave. Mm -hmm. I, as a judge in Australia, had over 34 years as a judge Mm -hmm. to hear a great deal of horrible evidence uh, and to read about it in appeals and to see uh, really terrible crimes, but nothing prepared me for the task of sitting through the Commission of Inquiry on North Korea. Uh, And it was as if... Uh, I was in a time capsule back in 1946 or 47 in a tribunal like the Nuremberg Tribunal or the post-war tribunals in Germany and in the Far East uh, that was taking testimony from witnesses. Testimony such as the requirement imposed on a, a young woman who Uh, had given birth whilst in custody to uh, drown her baby uh, head down in a bucket because the baby was um, uh, a Han Chinese fathered baby uh, and therefore lacking in pure blood, um, which uh, gives them a distinctly second-class status uh, in North Korea, or at least in the mind of the, the guards and officials who had seized them. That was such a dreadful story, but uh, it was, uh, interestingly, it was given in this very low-key manner. Um, there was no uh, attempt or apparent attempt to embellish it or to make it worse than it was. It, it The facts Uh, were enough. There was another case of a man who told of his job, which was to pick up the bodies thrown out of the huts in the detention camps, put them on a wheelbarrow and wheel them to a vat where, in a rather primitive way, they were reduced to ashes, but with certain body parts, especially legs and arms, uh, left unreduced and then scattered those ashes and body parts on nearby fields for fertiliser, for the food for the prisoners, uh, which was very meagre. And so that also seemed so horrible. It seemed to be reminiscent of the type of testimony that was received by the International Military Tribunal for Nazi Germany and the International Military Tribunal for the Far East. We were convinced that overwhelmingly the testimony we received was truthful, unembellished, and sufficiently horrible that it didn't really need embellishment. These were not exceptional days for the prisoners. These were the routine days they lived their lives with their family members who may well have been completely innocent of any political action of the uh, detainee, um, but simply being punished because they were regarded as contagion, Mm. uh, as people who were a threat and a danger to the uh, citizens of North Korea and to the regime in North Korea. Presumably that's an ideological contagion rather than a uh, bacteriological or virological one, right? Yes. Oh, yes, the contagion was the contagion that they might spread uh, statements of animosity Mm -hmm. uh, even in the rudimentary uh, civil society of North Korea. It, It was surprising to me that there have not been 
uprisings against the violence and cruelty. Uh, but when you listen for days and days and weeks to testimony and you hear of uh, the type of retaliation that is meted out to those who are uh, seen as enemies of uh, the regime, then you realise this is just the way society is. And, of course, a number of the witnesses, including people who had not been detained, gave evidence of uh, being rounded up as school students and students generally and taken to public squares to witness public executions of people for crimes against the state. So it's a, it is a violent, uh, cruel, uh, human rights disrespecting uh, country and it was our duty as members of the Commission of Inquiry to reach our conclusions and that we did and we were unanimous in our conclusions. Now you mentioned that uh, you, you uh, or the Commission communicated with the government of the DPRK asking for uh, an opportunity to come in and inspect conditions in the DPRK uh, and, and they said no. What um, throughout the process of the inquiry, what was the uh, communication with the government of the Democratic Republic of Korea? Uh, our communication was through the mission to the United Nations in Geneva. Uh, there is a mission for DPRK in Geneva where the European headquarters of the human rights arm of the United Nations is to be found. And so at the very beginning, we sent a respectful letter notifying of our appointment, notifying of our terms of reference, uh, seeking an opportunity to come and call on them, and uh, they uh, ignored uh, the request. We repeated the requests. Uh, we were given uh, permission to come to the missions of the People's Republic of China and of the Russian Federation, the United States of America and uh, Japan and the European Union and its member countries. So we had um, f access to the others. The resolution setting us up urged the subject country to make uh, available to us all facilities necessary for the performance of our task and to permit us to come to the country, it was suspected that they would not because they had not allowed the special rapporteur on uh, human rights violations in North Korea uh, to go into the country. Um, when in the end we had completed our inquiry, I then said to the United Nations, uh, in my view, it is essential as a matter of due process to provide the report uh, to the government of North Korea before it is publicly released so that they could correct, if they wish to, any particular factual matters or any assertions or call attention to any evidence or anything else or even ask to reopen the inquiry so that they could give testimony and allow us in. Uh, they also ignored that. I therefore uh, advised my uh, co-commissioners, and they agreed, and advised the United Nations that I should write to the Supreme Leader of DPRK, calling to his attention the gravity of the complaints that were made. These are not just human rights violations. 
in many cases, in the opinion of the Commission of Inquiry, as set out in its draft report, uh, these were violations that rose to the level of crimes against humanity. That means they are crimes that will affect the reader, the, the person becoming aware of them, of the uh, grossly uh, violent and uh, offensive and terrifying nature of the crimes concerned. I therefore wrote to uh, the Supreme Leader, pointing out to him the principle of the command doctrine. The command doctrine is a principle of international law that says uh, where a person has command over others and uh, does not so exercise that power as to prevent crimes against humanity and serious human rights offences happening, that person, by reason of the command and the ability to stop those offences may themselves be responsible in international law for such crimes. It was suggested to me at the time that that was not a letter that had ever been sent by mm. a commission of inquiry to a head of government, head of state or head of regime and that this was completely exceptional and I said, well, this is an exceptional case and these are exceptional circumstances. And certainly uh, in my own country, if a, an inquiry reached a conclusion uh, that there were grave crimes before reporting and before uh, reaching uh, recommendations, they would have to give notice of those crimes to the persons affected. And the Supreme Leader, by the doc doctrine of command, was possibly affected, and we gave him notice and... Uh, still, he did not respond. Now, I believe that the, the government of the People's Republic of China was also opposed to the establishment of this Commission of Inquiry. Uh, what was the reason they gave for that? Well, they didn't oppose it at the time uh, it was uh, established, uh, in the sense, as I have already said, that the establishment was uh, undertaken by the uh, Human Rights Council without a vote. That's very unusual. Commissions of inquiry are a major upgrade in the seriousness of a United Nations investigation. Uh, there had been the special rapporteur mm. on human rights violations in North Korea, which North Korea had ignored, but that had not made much progress. And Mr. Durrisman uh, had been the special rapporteur, and it was his concern that uh, it shouldn't be the last word that North Korea should not be able to stop uh, the United Nations for finding out what is happening. And so he recommended that a commission of inquiry should be created. And when it was put to the vote in the, in the Human Rights Council by the then president of the council, who was the ambassador for Poland, uh, he twice paused and gave the opportunity for... Uh, a nation to uh, call for a vote, uh, and that call did not come through. I've actually listened to the transcript, I think it's available online, by the uh, Ambassador for Poland as President of the Human Rights Council, and it's clear that he is uh, uh, surprised that mm. there hasn't been a call. It may be that at the time that was done, 
the People's Republic of China was not a member of the Human Rights Council. But certainly they did agree to see us uh, and they did um, entertain uh, two requests that we made to them. One was that we be given permission to come to Beijing to speak to the Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees and other uh, officials and um, academies in Beijing. Uh, that was eventually declined. Uh, we also asked for permission to go to the northeast uh, portion of China mm. in order to investigate the circumstances of the uh, Korean Chinese community and the Korean refugee community in that area, uh, and uh, that was considered and declined. Uh, and North Korea, uh, China did not support the report of the Commission of Inquiry. Uh, insofar as there was a reason, it was not a reason that attacked uh, our methodology or the conclusions. It was simply a general statement that human rights matters are better dealt with in a in a, a quiet and gentle way and not in a, uh, what was described as an adversarial way. And they uh, judged the Commission of Inquiry as having fallen into the latter category. That is not something which the Commission of Inquiry would accept because uh, none of the members of the Commission of Inquiry, certainly in my own case, had any particular reason to be adverse or hostile. I'd been a judge in Australia for 30, 34, 35 years, and uh, I had no reason to be hostile to North Korea. I simply wanted to fulfil faithfully and honestly my duty to the Human Rights Council, which is what I did. Now, the, uh, the, the short version of the report of the Commission of Inquiry is uh, 36 pages long, but the full report is 372 pages, and that's the, the full document that can be downloaded as a PDF. And there's a lot of supporting documentation. You mentioned that there's uh, direct quotations from uh, witness testimony on almost every page. Uh, and I, I think you, re you mentioned before I turned the microphone on that you wished the book had been published and sold at airports uh, so people could read it. It's a very readable report. I do, because uh, the fate of uh, law reform reports back home in Australia is often that they, uh, they cause a fuss at the time and then the politicians forget about them. Yeah. Uh, and the fate of Commission of Inquiry reports of the United Nations is that they uh, attract a lot of media at the time, but then uh, there isn't really a very good mechanism for following them up and making sure that they are pursued. As well, in the case of uh, DPRK, the position after the report came out was complicated by uh, the rapid advancement in the uh, proliferation of nuclear weapons by the accession of North Korea uh, of a tidy, uh, though small, stockpile of nuclear weapons and, uh, in some ways more concerning, the much more rapid than, in, than expected development of missiles mm. that can deliver those uh, weapons to neighbouring and not-so-neighbouring countries. These developments have made it all the more important that the international community should have access to uh, the picture of what goes on in North Korea. Nothing that I have read or seen 
suggest that there has been any substantial improvement in human rights in North Korea, um, except maybe in one particular, that is in the treatment of people with disabilities. The uh, North Korean regime did allow the uh, Special Rapporteur on Disabilities to come into North Korea, and it does seem, in fairness to them, that there has been some improvement in the way uh, North Korea deals with people with disabilities. But the conditions in North Korea described in our report appear still to be uh, in place. The prison camps and detention camps are still visible in the satellite images. And of course, since our report was produced, uh, a, a second great famine has struck North Korea and other climatic changes, and that has made the situation dangerous and uh, specifically unsettled. In addition to all this, the intervention of discussions uh, at a very high level of the nuclear uh, situation and the interventions particularly of President Trump in his dialogue with the Supreme Leader of North Korea have taken the focus away from the report on human rights. But it is all of a one. It is all interconnected. The position of human rights uh, is uh, critically related to the perceived need for nuclear weapons of a country whose population of about 24 million is approximately the same as the population of my own country, Australia, and whose army is the fourth largest standing army in the world. Uh, and all of these features are features of um, control and of danger and Unfortunately, the sole focus on the, the situation of um, the nuclear uh, danger has taken uh, completely the attention away from the report of the Commission of Inquiry. If it had been on sale at the airports mm. as a readable book, in my humble opinion, uh, it would have been more difficult for that uh, to happen. Now, as one of the, uh, the findings on the, the points of mandate that you mentioned, the report also had a list of recommendations, including 19 recommendations specifically to the DPRK government, the last of which was to, uh, quote, accept immediately a field-based presence and technical assistance from the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights and other relevant United Nations entities to help implement the above-mentioned recommendations. How uh, realistic were those recommendations? In uh, preparing our recommendations, we followed the normal way by which one approaches it in international affairs a difficult problem of this kind. The normal way one approaches it is to start at the periphery and to look at the matters where you might get some progress, such as sister city recognition, a sporting team contests, uh, opening the mail between North and South Korea, uh, and then moving gradually towards the centre of the core of the really difficult issues of which human rights is one and nuclear weapons is another. 
normally that is the way in which a problem of this kind would be approached. The idea of opening uh, an office uh, to continue the work of the Commission of Inquiry from within North Korea would not have come first up. But we also recommended that there should be similar facilities in South Korea for the purpose of allowing people who had not had the chance to speak to the Commission of Inquiry, who could speak to an office that would have a duty to record the testimony. This is part of the history of the Korean people. A day will come when the Korean peninsula is not divided and when the Korean people are unified and where there is no uh, gross human rights violations nor nuclear peril uh, in North Korea. But that day hasn't yet come. But meantime, it's vital that the history uh, and the complaints should be recorded. And following the report of the Commission of Inquiry, many of the recommendations that were advanced to the uh, United Nations were followed up. Uh, One of them was the establishment uh, in Seoul of a agency, an office, which could continue to receive the complaints. And that agency does exist. And uh, whilst I'm here on this uh, brief visit for the International Bar Association meeting, I'm going to uh, call on that office and just see what is happening and mm-hmm. how what its experience has been. And I have had previous Uh, knowledge of what they are doing and it appears to be far from pointless it it just continues there was there were 20 29,900 people left Mm -hmm. for the commission of inquiry to uh, see and we only saw a hundred or more uh, witnesses and therefore they have a right to be heard if nothing else we achieved Uh, was the hearing and recording of the statements of the witnesses who came before us. That was itself a very important achievement of the Commission of Inquiry. It allowed people who overwhelmingly, in my view, had suffered uh, huge violations of their human rights to speak to power and to speak to the United Nations. And it allowed the United Nations to show that it was taking them seriously and their uh, suffering seriously. And that is what I believe has happened as a result of what we did and what the office in Seoul performs. But the other uh, matters of recommendation, I agree with you, have not been followed up because many of them require the cooperation of DPRK and it is still uncooperative. Now, in, uh, in April 2014, just about a month after the uh, report was issued, the uh, North Korean State Media Agency, that's the uh, Korea Central News Agency, used some very um, disparaging language about yourself personally, attacking your sexuality, and, and they wrote, quote, it is ridiculous for such gay to sponsor dealing with others' human rights issue. It's extraordinary. Um, but what did you learn, or did we learn anything from the report or the inquiry about the North Korean government's treatment of sexual minorities? We did learn some things about uh, the treatment of sexual minorities. We, we learned that in the criminal code of North Korea, as is common in the criminal code of most civil law countries, there is no specific crime against homosexual people or sexual minorities. Uh, and uh, therefore, that uh, was 
because they're putting them in a position which was superior to the position of many countries of the common law world where everywhere the Union Jack flew, uh, the British took uh, the criminal laws against gays, which are being removed uh, piece by piece, not without resistance. Uh, In uh, the case of uh, other aspects of sexuality. Uh, there were reports, indeed, there were images on YouTube and so on of sexual conduct in North Korea as seen from satellites. Whether that was believable or not, I don't know. We didn't refer to that uh, aspect in our report. Uh, and after all, in South Korea, there are problems in the, in the treatment of uh, sexual minorities. I noticed in the Economist newspaper just two weeks ago, there was a report of, I think it was the first Pride March in South Korea, which was interrupted and uh, jeered by a large uh, body of people uh, denouncing any change or advancement in the situation in South Korea. And in South Korea, there is a criminal offence in relation to uh, members of the military or the uh, Uh, conscripted National Service military, uh, which exists. I took advantage of being in Korea on the follow-up to the Commission of Inquiry to see the Human Rights Commission of the Republic of Korea, South Korea, uh, to urge the improvement of the situation of LGBTIQ people because human rights don't stop at a border. They're not confined human rights violations are not confined to North Korea or South Korea or, for that matter, Australia. They reach everywhere and it's therefore uh, appropriate uh, to recognise the intersectionality of human rights. That means the fact that a person can be gay and suffer other discrimination, suffer the kinds of discrimination and violence that happens in North Korea and can be a woman and suffer discrimination on disability or other grounds. And my sexuality had nothing whatsoever to do with it. The complaint by North Korea fell like a stone and it was like the statement by the ambassador for North Korea in New York who, responding to our report, said... Uh, we have a saying in uh, Korean, mind your own business. And I had to remind him that following the UN Charter, uh, following the membership of the United Nations by North Korea, which is not compulsory, but they've met, they've joined, and following uh, the Charter's terms and the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, we are all bound by uh, universal human rights, and that extends to sexual minorities, and that extends to North Korea. Now, it's now uh, it's been five and a half years since the uh, Commission's Inquiries report was, was published. Is it still relevant and important? I believe it is. Uh, of course, that is for other people to decide. They will only decide that. Uh, not by generalities of uh, denunciations by politicians, but by actually going to the pages. Uh, It it was a a pretty rapid job to get the report. Effectively, we only had from July of 2013 
to February 2014. Mm. So, uh, and when you allow for translation and uh, for uh, preparation and editing and uh, checking and so on, it was effectively six months. Uh, and the report uh, is, I think, readable. It ought to. The UN isn't all that good in getting these things beyond the internet. Now, a lot of Young people will read the internet, but there will be a lot of decision makers and people with power uh, who don't. And that's why I, I've uh, tried to get uh, publishers to publish this, but they say, oh, it's too much like a report and they can see it online and we don't think there's money to be made by publishing it. Well, the human rights of 24 million people is a serious issue and... I must admit I was shocked by the testimony and the findings we were bound to make and uh, I, I believe those problems still persist in North Korea and they should not be put off the table because quite properly uh, President Moon Jae-in uh, and President Trump and the Supreme Leader in North Korea uh, are discussing the serious additional problem of nuclear weapons and missiles, which in a sense are also human rights mm -hmm. challenges. Is the UN Human Rights Council still actively talking about or dealing with the report? It depends on what uh, level you answer that question. Uh, if you answer at the level of the system of universal periodic review, then North Korea, like all members of the United Nations, comes up regularly for scrutiny. And of course, the criteria for the scrutiny of North Korea is laid down by the findings in the Commission of Inquiry report. Um, if you ask, uh, is it uh, on the top of the agenda of the Human Rights Council, as it was back in 2014, 15, maybe 16, uh, the answer is that it is not. Mm. But uh, it did go, the report was sent, as we recommended, by the Human Rights Council to the General Assembly. Uh, there was then a very strong uh, vote with only a small number. I think it was 19 states voted against it. Uh, and uh, that was a very strong vote for a human rights report. As well as that, we recommended that certain steps be taken in the Security Council. And shortly after our report, the matter of North Korea was placed on the agenda of the Security Council, which itself is exceptional uh, to put uh, human rights issues on the agenda of the Security Council. There it remains. And... Uh, in the past, it has been uh, considered uh, generally after each year, and it may not be a coincidence that following the report of the Commission of Inquiry, uh, the proposals to increase the sanctions on North Korea uh, were adopted, not only to increase them, but then to increase them again. Uh, it is clear that those sanctions uh, biting effectively into the consciousness of North Korea. They are top of the list of the matters that the uh, Supreme Leader raises in his dialogue and his uh, officers in their dialogue with the United States of America. And therefore, um, to that extent, 
those increases in sanctions in the Security Council, which required the positive vote of the P5 members and therefore the affirmative vote of the People's Republic of China and the Russian Federation that voted for the increase in sanctions, all of that has to be seen against the background of the report of the Commission of Inquiry. You're here in Seoul now for the, uh, the annual conference of the International Bar Association. It's the largest gathering of international lawyers from around the world each year. Uh, it's happening here in Seoul next week. Will you be speaking about this report uh, uh, during the conference? Is that part of the reason you're here? Amongst other things, uh, I am the co-chair of the Human Rights Institute of the International Bar Association. That is the uh, organ within the International Bar Association, the IBA, that uh, looks at and examines both general issues of human rights, but also issues in particular countries or jurisdictions. And uh, North Korea is going to be on the agenda. There are going to be members of the uh, refugee community who've come to South Korea who are going to uh, be interviewed and give uh, testimony. I won't be doing the interviewing, but that will be done. And uh, I will be on panels. And uh, to the extent that it's relevant, I will be uh, revealing what was said in the report of the Commission of Inquiry, that I believe that what we said is still pertinent and relevant and requires a response, and that that response should be forthcoming. After the end of the Holocaust, at the end of the Second World War, the international community was so shocked at what was revealed that it devised uh, the concept of crimes against humanity. Mm. It also devised the concept of genocide. We held back from finding genocide. We did not find genocide in North Korea because the grounds of violent removal of a population or part of a population must, under the Genocide Convention, be on the basis of race, religion, ethnicity and nationality. And they are not the causative factors in North Korea, which are substantially political. That is not covered by the Genocide Convention. But crimes against humanity uh, is applicable and uh, it is a crime that shocks the conscience of humanity. And we believe there are many such crimes and the human community at that time in 1946 promised that it would not turn away as it had in the 1930s and 40s from the great crimes of the Nazis, genocide and crimes against humanity, but would always respond. Well, it has not responded effectively to the findings of the Commission of Inquiry, and it should do so. And when the leaders of the powerful nations are considering the case of North Korea, uh, they should certainly have nuclear weapons and missiles to deliver them on the agenda, but they should also have crimes against humanity uh, and the report of the Commission of Inquiry on North Korea. What can people who are listening to this podcast who are uh, who take this issue seriously, uh, what can they do to help? They can uh, make representations to their politicians. They can, in, in countries where the politicians will or may listen, uh, they uh, can bring the matter to the attention of media. They can give personal accounts, which, as we found in the inquiry, bring to life 
the terrors that are suffered by people in North Korea. They can give their personal stories simply to vindicate the great wrong that has been done to individuals uh, and they can resolve never to remain quiet, never just to accept things, but in the words of Winston Churchill, never give up, never give up, never give up. Um, what, what do you think about the idea of visiting Korea, engage, sorry, visiting North Korea, engaging with North Korea, even trading with North Korea? Well, I, I think some engagement uh, has a reciprocal uh, benefit. I mean, the benefit for North Korea is that it gives a degree of legitimacy and also gives uh, trading and foreign capital and uh, so on. The uh, benefit for uh, countries that send their nationals there or trade with North Korea uh, is that it provides links and it demonstrates by the humanity of the people who uh, go there that they are just ordinary human beings. They're not devils and they are uh, overwhelmingly uh, human beings with the same hopes, dreams and uh, aspirations as the people of North Korea and the people of South Korea. It has to always be remembered that uh, the Korean Peninsula was not divided by decision of the Korean people. That division was imposed upon uh, the Korean Peninsula by a decision of the, the Allied powers in 1944. That decision is still in force today. It's like uh, an unlovely remnant of the Cold War. It's uh, a leftover. There are other little leftovers, but this is the big leftover. And uh, any leader and any regime that is more cognizant of the uh, interests of the people of North Korea uh, will take a look around here in South Korea, uh, if they can get here, and will decide that whatever were the original aspirations of the separate North Korean state, uh, they have led to a, a litany of suffering, uh, death, destruction, uh, and despair, and that the time has come to wind up that experiment and to rejoin the world. And that can be done consistently with the preservation of the current regime, uh, at least until democratic elections uh, take place uh, when the people of Korea as a whole can decide uh, what they want for the future of this peninsula. Well, thank you very much for joining today, me today, Justice Kirby. I appreciate your time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends if you enjoyed listening. And consider getting a subscription to nknews.org where you will find the best and most up-to-date specialist journalism on all matters related to North Korea. You can save $50 on your first year's subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. Our thanks, as always, go to James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast, and to Arias Dare, our post-recording producer genius, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily noises, etc. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Career Fund, for which we are extremely grateful. Thanks, and listen again next time. <laughs>